Welcome to the Person and the Power podcast with Pastor Tim Johnson, as he invites us to cultivate a deep and profound relationship with the Holy Spirit of the living and loving God. After 25 years of ministry, Pastor Tim's desire is that all of us would experience both the Spirit's transformational intimacy and the supernatural activity in our daily lives. Now, here's Pastor Tim. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I do hope and pray that you are blessed wherever you are and whatever time of day you're listening to this. I do hope you're blessed, encouraged, Uh, had some conversations with some friends just over the last couple of days. And it does seem sometimes life has gotten harder. It just seems that way in some things, whether it's physical or emotional or even spiritual. It just feels like, in conversation with some friends, that life is a little harder. So with that, I hope and pray that you have found God to be gooder than life is harder. (laughs) Amen? I really do. And uh, love you guys. So appreciate the support. So appreciate folk still uh, giving me texts and phone calls and Marco Polos and emails about the Bible study, devotional, the person and the power. We got some books in today, some additional books. We'll be sending those out and we're excited to continue to, to offer that. We just want people in the word, as I shared with my church on Sunday, Firmers Chapel, this past Sunday, I just shared that I just my heart, my heart, my heart is that my folk, my people really know how to do good, intensive Bible study led by the Holy Spirit. It's okay to learn from your pastor or learn from another teacher, but if that's your only source of learning, then in school we had a word for that. You know, remember those in school we talked about, I talked about this at church. In school, you know, for me at least, when I did when I was in math class of any kind, the worst words I could see on the test was were show your work. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to show my work. I just want to copy an answer. I want to find, I want to get the answer from someone else and just put that on the piece of paper, right? That would be called cheating. That'd be called plagiarism, right? So don't cheat yourself out of really good Bible study. You can learn from other people, commentaries and TikTok videos and whatever else, but learn how to dive into the Word of God on your own, the Holy Spirit as your teacher. That is my deepest, deepest heart, my deepest prayer. So, all right, we got a lot to cover. So, goodness gracious, we are going to try <laughs> to fly through chapters 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 <laughs> of 1 Samuel. Woo! So, I take a deep breath, strap in, buckle up. Here we go. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for a time together. Ask and pray for encouragement. I really do uh, pray for great spiritual encouragement in the physical realm, in the spiritual realm. Lord, emotionally and mentally, wherever anyone listening to this needs encouragement, would you bestow upon would you bestow it upon them graciously and generously? Would you just flood them with great encouragement. Pray for healing of mind and body, spirit and soul. Pray that you'd continue to uh, help us dive deeper into the Word of God together, corporately, and individually. Help us to learn how to study, how to glean, how to truly um, 
work the field of, of Scripture so we can pull everything out of it that we're supposed to be pulling. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for this daunting challenge today. We're trusting your Holy Spirit in all of it. In Jesus, your mighty and holy name. Amen. Here we go. All right, First Samuel 8. So we're not going to see uh, Ruach HaKadosh in, in chapter 8. In fact, you probably will, as you read chapter 8, you're like, oh my goodness, why are we doing this? But it's this really kind of sad chapter where Israel is asking for a king. And, um, but again, you know, the series we're in, finding the Holy Spirit, Ruach HaKadosh, in, in the spirit of holy, finding the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So here, here's the setup, right? Context is everything. So you got to know context. So in order to see, and there are four instances. So that's the, we're going to focus on the four verses. So it's going to be daunting, but we're going to look at four verses, two in chapter 10, one in chapter 11, and one in chapter 16. That's the saddest of them all. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that here in just a little bit. So, but let's get the context set, right? So the context is Samuel's, Samuel is growing older, chapter 8, verse 1. He appointed his sons to be judges over Israel, Joel and Abijah. His oldest sons held court in Beersheba, but they were not like their father, Ugh, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Doggone it, how it is so discouraging when you read scripture and you see this with Eli and his sons, which is why, you know, this, and ironically, Samuel grew up under the tutelage of Eli. We could do a lot of connection there. So Eli and his sons, remember his sons were actually held so responsible, they, were, they, were, they, they died in judgment. And so did Eli because he did not hold his sons accountable for being holy before the Lord. So here's Samuel. His sons are not like him. But all the elders of Israel, they're meeting and they're discussing the matter with Samuel. And look, listen, you're old. Your sons aren't like you. So give us a king to judge us, verse 5, like all the other nations have. Aye, aye, aye. We won't go through every chapter here. But just know that in chapter 8, um, Israel already had a king. Israel wanted the king when they already had the God. And we talk, I, I talk a lot about the fact, you know, I love living in America. I've traveled abroad many, many times, have been blessed and humbled by traveling in different places all around the world. But I just know that a democracy is not what God intended. I know, I know, not trying to go here, but, but we have a democracy. A democracy is, if you look at the Constitution, the preamble, it's a, it's a government by the people, for the people, of the people, right? So, so the people govern the land, right? That's how we, that's why we vote. That's not the same as a theocracy. A theocracy is a God government or a God kingdom, right? So a democracy is a people government or a people kingdom. Theocracy is a God government, a God kingdom. And so Israel already had a theocracy. They wanted a, they wanted a, uh, they wanted a, they had, they had a, a, a government by God, but they wanted a monarchy. They wanted a king government now. They already had a God government. So anyway, that, you know, warranted, that that brought Samuel to this warning that we see in verses 10 through uh, around 18 or so. And if you know this, if you look at the different translations, NIV especially, but you will read, I think there's up to eight different takes, T-A-K-E, basically like this. It will go like this. Uh, the king will take your sons. The king will take your daughters. The king will take the best of your fields. He'll take your vineyards. He'll take a tenth of your grain. He'll take 
your male and female slaves. He'll take your livestock. He'll take your tithe. Take, 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 take. Samuel is warning Israel. You're asking for problems because a king, all the king is going to do is take from you. And you know what they had? They had a God who gave and gave and gave and gave. God gives, right? God is a blessing God. So here they are switching out. They want a God. They want a king who, unfortunately, is going to take, take, take. They already had a God who gave, gave, gave. So be careful and be grateful, right, that God is a giver. One of the greatest things he gives us, his Holy Spirit, his Ruach HaKadosh. We we fly to chapter 9. So chapter 9 is the, uh, if you will, the, uh, the picking of the king. And it is Saul. Everybody say Saul. You know, Saul. So uh, interestingly enough, and, and Saul um, is head and shoulders above the rest, meaning he was tall. But he was, we see examples, we see glimpses that Saul was humble. Saul was um, probably worthy of being a king at some point. Now, again, the problem was that Israel wanted a king when they already had a God. But here, they all by all accounts, early on, Saul exhibited um, humility. He exhibited this sense of kind of almost like this reluctance. I don't really want to be king, right? But what you will see in verses 1 through 2 of chapter 9, he says, There is a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Abiel, son of Zoor, son of Begarath, son of Abiah of the tribe of Benjamin. Here, his son, verse 2, his son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. And he goes on to say different places in chapter 9, kind of the qualifications, or if you will, the resume of Saul. You know what was never said in the in the whole of the resume of Saul? You know what was never said? Nothing was said about his relationship with God. You know why? We don't know if he had one. So here he is. All the resume in the world does not, cannot, Take the place of what? A real relationship with God. So understand that. And again, this relationship with God is fueled and fired by and and really fed by the Holy Spirit of the living God. And so here we find Saul, head and shoulders, right? Above the rest. That's where we get the name of the shampoo right there. So head and shoulders above the rest. And yet, those are so dad jokes. And and yet there is no relationship with God, Right? Uh, interesting in this chapter, we won't go stay here long, but interesting in this chapter, um, uh, donkeys were used. I, I, I find it fascinating. Donkeys are used more than once to show that donkeys are able to submit to God better than we humans. It, it just continues to back, just continues to amaze me. Donkeys have been used more than once in the Old Testament, and maybe even in the New Testament. Donkeys are used to ta- teach about submission. The most stubborn animal on the planet has nothing on the most stubborn animal on the planet. (laughs) Donkeys versus man. So are you willing to submit to God? Israel was not. They wanted a king, right? So it sets everything up, okay? sets everything up. And understand, I think chapter 9 is really important because it, it sets it up, the fact that Saul had no real relationship with God. Um, I want to point one thing out in chapter 9. Incredible passage. Look at this. Um, in uh, chapter 9, verse, uh, I want to say verse 15. In the Again, I don't know what your translation would say, 
But in the uh, original Hebrew, it says in verse 15, now the Lord told Samuel in his ear. So I love that. Samuel had a relationship with the Lord via the Ruach HaKadosh somehow. He heard the Lord in his ear. Now, we don't know if that means an audible voice. Could have been. But we know that Samuel was hearing from the Lord. Saul, he, you'll see that Saul does hear from the Lord from a, a time or two before the wheels fall off. But he really didn't have a relationship with God. This is the whole heart of the person and the power, podcast, book, whatever. Do you have a relationship with the living God inside of you? His name, the Holy Spirit. I've said this before, and I could kind of be accused of heresy if you're not thinking through fully. A relationship with Jesus is different than a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Anyway, think about that. All right, so now we go to chapter 10, and we see four verses where Ruach HaKadosh is used. Okay, so four verses. We're going to center on those for the next few minutes, all right? So 1 Samuel 10. In 1 Samuel 10, uh, we have, if you will, uh, the, the kind of the, the, the coronation. Samuel is anointing Saul as king. And, um, and, and interesting um, in this, um, there's great promise. I mean, Saul, again, had great promise. He was chosen, anointed by God, filled with the Holy Spirit for a time, supported by a great man of God, Saul, or I'm sorry, Samuel. He was given gifts. Uh, when you see, when you read through chapter 10, uh, appropriate to royalty, he was enthusiastically supported by most of the nation, not all the nation. Some of the nation actually rebelled against that. He was surrounded by valiant men. If you read chapter 10, you'll see that he went home with valiant men whose hearts God, whose hearts God had touched. Okay. And he was, we see in some sense, he was, he was wise enough um, not to uh, consider every person who doubted him as an enemy. So you'll see all of that in chapter 10. And if you go all the way into chapter 10, uh, not very far, you'll see two times in verse six, all right, in verse six, um, the you'll see Samuel, uh, Samuel uh, taking a flask of oil, uh, anointing uh, Saul, uh, making him king. But he says this uh, to, 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 to Saul, uh, when you arrive at Gibeah of God, which is verse 5, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you will meet a band of prophets coming down from the place of worship. They will be playing a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre, and they will be prophesying. Verse 6, at the same time, the Spirit of the Lord, Ruach HaKadosh, will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. You see that in verse 6? You'll be changed into a different person. Wow, wow, wow. You know what happens when we develop a deep relationship with the Spirit of God? We're changed. Only the Holy Spirit, John 3, read John 3. Only the Holy Spirit can change you from sin nature to saint nature. Listen to that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Spirit can do something with your spirit. Now, he'll use the blood of the Lamb. He'll apply the blood of Jesus to accomplish the will of the Father. Listen to that Trinitarian model. Listen to that Trinitarian formula. The Father desires how many to be saved? All. The Son provided the blood so that what? All who believed in him, right? John 3, 16. The Holy Spirit, once we've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior and confessed our need for the blood, confessing our lives to be, confessing ourselves to be sinners, then we need something to cleanse us. Then the Holy Spirit then applies the blood to wash away not the, not the habit of sin as much as the stain of sin. We can still sin, Read Romans 6 and 7. 
But the stain, the very nature of sin now, so now we've gone from sinner to saint. Amen? This is really big. And I don't think a lot of people understand the Trinitarian work in salvation. But here, and all the way back in Samuel, you will be changed into a different person. And the context is the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, not just prophesy, but you'll be changed. Samuel is already talking about what will happen when we receive the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKadosh. So uh, Samuel's signs are all fulfilled and starting in verse 9. And, and then all of a sudden, verse 10 says, When Saul came, uh, when Saul and the servants appeared at Gibeah uh, or arrived at Gibeah, they saw a, a group of prophets. Then the Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of God, Ruach HaKadosh, came powerfully upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. When those who knew Saul, verse, on verse 11, chapter 10, knew Saul, heard about it, they exclaimed, What? Is even Saul a prophet? Now, if you read a little further, um, just really verse 12, uh, apparently there was an old saying back in the day, and that's and, and that's when this saying started, um, that um, verse, it says, with the, this is the origin of the saying, is even Saul a prophet? Now, again, those that's a saying back in the day, not today. But what that means is this. How can an unspiritual man... Here's the, here's the problem with that. Here's, the, here's what we may not have... Unless we kind of do some digging, you got to understand context. Is even Saul a prophet? It was easy to understand that prophets and priests would prophesy. But they were surprised that Saul would prophesy. Why? Because he wasn't a spiritual man. Go all the way back to his resume in chapter 9. He had no real relationship with God. He had no relationship with God. So why in the world is he prophesying? So there's shock. There's awe. There's this surprise in that saying, is even Saul a prophet? Meaning, how is he prophesying? Well, the good news is the Holy Spirit can do anything. Amen? He can use donkeys. He can even use a king whose heart at this moment is at least soft toward the Spirit. He gets very prideful very quickly, right? We know the story of Saul. But I just love this, love, hate this saying, is even Saul a prophet? So here's the, here's the deal. Let God work in your life. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life. Make sure that people aren't saying, is even Tim a prophet? So make sure that people aren't saying that about you. Make sure that they know, people know that you have a deep and profound relationship with the one living inside of the Holy Spirit. Make sure that's evident so that no one's surprised when the Holy Spirit does use you in prophecy, in proclaiming, in witnessing, in serving, whatever ways he will use you. Don't let anyone be surprised, is fill in the blank, uh, is even fill in the blank a prophet? What that means is, how are they being used by God since they're not even spiritual? They don't even have a relationship with God. Don't let that be said of you. Amen? All right. And so that's chapter 10. That's the two verses that we see in chapter 10. Uh, we go ahead in chapter 11. Let's jump into chapter 11. Uh, and so, again, he's coronated as king. And um, interesting, this this is a fascinating verse, or fa- fascinating chapter, chapter 11. I wish we had more time. We don't. Uh, we got about uh, six, seven minutes, and we'll, we'll finish well here. But uh, in chapter 11, a month later, after he's uh, after he's been coronated as king, um, King Nahash, Nahash of Ammon, or Ammon, led his army against Israel, the Israelite town of Jabesh Gilead. Jabesh Gilead. But all the citizens of Jabesh asked for peace, make a treaty with us. So Nahash, N A H A S H, Nahash, 
interestingly enough, and we could do a whole study on on, on chapter eleven, um, but look at it's fascinating. Um, Nahash in Hebrew means serpent or snake, and if you read through even the early parts of Nahash, uh, what he did and what he and how he 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 he, he um, um, uh, gouged the eyes out of 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 um, uh, one of the guys gouge the eyes out the right eyes out of of those um uh, I will gouge he says in verse 2 um but only on one condition if you make a treaty uh I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you as a disgrace to all of Israel um and so uh if you look at Nahash and do a deeper study he almost is the epitome, the Old Testament epitome of Satan. He's almost like, because what does Nahash want to do? He wants to bring, what does Satan want to do? Bring shame and disgrace? What does Nahash want to do? He wants to He wants to lie and deceive. What does Nahash want to do? He wants to blind Israel. What does Satan wants to do? He wants to blind believers. Anyway, fascinating because, again, the word Nahash in Hebrew means serpent or snake. Just so fascinating. But anyway, uh, moving on. We got to move on. So verse 6 in chapter 11. Two more verses that we're going to see Ruach HaKadosh really quick. Chapter 6. Um, there's this battle afoot. God uses Saul to defeat Nahash and the Ammonites. Verse 6. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. He took two oxen, cut them into pieces, sent the messengers to carry them out throughout Israel and said, this is what will happen to the oxen of anyone who refuses to follow Saul and Samuel into battle. And the Lord made the people afraid of Saul's anger. And all of the Lord, all of them came together as one. When Saul mobilized them at Bezek, he found that they were 300,000 men from Israel and 30,000 men from Judah. Not necessarily the most motivational. It was pretty motivational. You can't argue. This was motivational. I'm not sure that would work today. But he cuts oxen in 12 pieces and sends them out all throughout Israel and says, this is what's going to happen to your livestock if you don't follow me in the battle against uh, this evil man Nahash and the Ammonites. Well, they defeat Nahash, they defeat Ammonites soundly, uh, and it's one of his great victories, uh, Saul's victories. But what happened? How? Because the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully. And notice, in the same verse, verse 6, chapter 11, verse 6, then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. Be careful with this one, right? But sometimes the Lord can use our emotions. Be angry and do not sin, right? We're supposed to hate sin, right? And and we're supposed to have a perfect hatred, just like Jesus, just like God has a perfect hatred uh, for sin and all that is evil. So anyway, be careful with that. But interesting, we've seen this before. As the Spirit of God comes upon, the Spirit of God comes came upon people in Israel uh, in, in, in Old Testament times, and even use their anger to accomplish a great victory for the Lord. All right, all the way, we could go, we, we're going to skip all the way to chapter 16 really quick here. Um, you know the story, Samuel becomes, or Saul becomes full of pride. Uh, he disobeys, he uh, offers incense and offers an offering where Samuel was supposed to, and he didn't wait. Samuel comes up over the hill just at the same time. Uh, Samuel says, the, he says, the kingdom has been taken from your hand, and now... Um, the Lord has already, already uh, appointed a, a, another one. Um, and uh, But again, he continues in chapter 15. He, he defeats the Amalekites. Um, uh, and and you know, we see, we read about Saint, uh, Jonathan, Saul's, uh, and we see Jonathan and David relationships. So all this, right? But look at verse 16, chapter, chapter 16. Oh, oh, saddest verse of maybe the Bible in many ways, one of the sadder verses. Um, 
Samuel anointing David as a new king. This wonderful story, David, you know, all the big brothers, and and finally Jesse, uh, Samuel says to Jesse, Je- uh, David's father, uh, is there another son? Are we missing one? Well, yeah, kind of, but he's out in the field. Well, go get him. We're going to stay standing. Why do you stay standing? Why did the brothers and the father stay standing? Because a king was coming. I love that. Oh, all right, here we go. Verse 14, chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. Right after David is anointed, verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. We don't have the time to talk about what that could mean today. There's a lot left to read in 1 Samuel 16. God even, in the sin, the Lord sends a tormenting spirit to fill him with depression and fear. Yep, yep, yep. Saddest words, though, in Saul's life. Now the Ruach HaKadosh left him. We can argue all day long if the Spirit of God can leave us today as New Testament believers. It comes down to once saved, always saved, you know. I do believe, as you read through Scripture, I think it's hard for a true believer to lose salvation, but I think you can. I don't think I don't think uh, God takes away our choice just because we're saved. And I don't think us losing salvation has anything to do with God's sovereignty. I think it has everything to do with our willingness to continue to follow the Lord um, and, and, and continue to cultivate that relationship. But if it's possible, can we agree on this? We never want that to be said of us. Can we at least agree on that? We want a relationship with God. We want a relationship with Jesus. We want a relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKadosh, so that it's never said of us, amen, that the Spirit of the Lord left us. So let's make sure that our relationship with God is so on fire and so on point and so consistent that we will never have to worry about that phrase ever being spoken or written about us. Amen? Amen. Be blessed. We'll talk to you next week. Pastor Tim is the co-founder and teaching director of the Joshua Center, a leadership training ministry which provides deep biblical roots to great movements of God. He's also the senior pastor of Firmers Chapel, a country church by a creek, reaching 13 countries on four different continents for Jesus and his kingdom. Join us next time as we grow deeper in the person and the power.